Welcome to New Realities. I'm Alan Steinfeld. And this is a special program tonight because I've been doing a series on YouTube called the Kundalini Hour with Kai Shanti. I've converted some of those programs to my BBS show here. This is one I was very excited with. Me and Kai interviewed a woman named Dorothy Walters. She's 92 years old and she's going to talk to us about her kundalini awakening which is still going strong at 92 i think it's been 50 years for her my first question to her was how did it happen how did she know there was something going on that she was awakening to and stay tuned for the rest of the show thank you now i know that a few things were typical in my awakening not much but one was many people undergo some kind of trauma in their lives and it creates a space. And as uh, to quote that rascal Baru, uh, Osho, now known as Osho, there is a space and the Kundalini can rush in. And that trauma can be something physical like illness or accident. It can be psychological, as it was in my case, having to do with this circumstance in my life. It can't, for me, it was the threatened breakup of a very long-term relationship. And that was like the bottom of the floor had simply come open and I'd fallen through into darkness. I was very upset. While I was in that state, I was reading a book by a man who at that, this time was a kind of major futurist, he was known. And the book was called, it was uh, called The Time That Falling Bodies Take to Light. Oh, William Irwin Thompson. You know him, or you know who he is. Yes. That book and his other writings were very influential in my life. And uh, he had this book, and it had maybe two pages. And I mean just two pages, in which he mentioned Kundalini. So here I was, I was all shook up because I thought my life was disintegrating. I had read, I was reading that book and he said a little something about Kundalini and I didn't know a darn thing about it. This was 1981. Nobody that I knew, knew anything about this. Nobody. Kundalini was very little known in the United States of America or elsewhere that I know of. But nonetheless, I read these two pages and something came into my head. And that something was, I believe I can do this. That is to say, bring these energies up. And so I did. <laughs> I did. Now you're not supposed to be able to do this. <laughs> According to the ancient texts and even today, many of the ancient practitioners prepared the ancient yogis, many of them prepared for years to get there. They were told not to try at all unless they had a qualified guru to teach them and lead them and show them how. So they prepared, and they prepared by deep meditation, they prepared by stringent diet. There's one famous yogi who simply ate grass for I don't know how long, he finally kind of turned green, according to the legend. <laughs> so you were supposed to really devote yourself to this awakening. But I didn't do that because I didn't know anything about it. I really didn't know anything about Kundalini except that I knew there was something, a mysterious energy. 
and it was said to reside at the base of your spine. And when it came up, it would rise up through the chakras. And I didn't know how to pronounce that word or quite what it was. <laughs> and it was supposed to come up through the spine and the chakras and uh, go into your head. And finally, after years of preparation and instruction, the idea that it's all described as a metaphor. And the metaphor was that there was this beautiful plant and that this plant, when it rose up and hit your head, would then open like a thousand petals opening. And I thought, sure, I can do that. <laughs> so naive. <laughs> but the thing was, I did meditate on the lower chakras. I didn't know their name exactly, but I'd seen something where a Qigong teacher had talked about how your energies were there and they would sort of surround you in a ball. He called it your ball. And uh, pretty soon I felt an energy field and it was like an energy ball. I thought, well, I've done part one. Now I have to get that up. How do I do that? Now this is kind of funny, but I'll confess. I thought, well, I have to do yogic breathing. I didn't have the vaguest notion what yogic breathing really was, but I just intuitively did deep, what I would call deep breathing, breathing in and out, in and out slowly. So, and, and very quickly, after a couple of minutes of this, my ball, which was in the lower chakras, shot. Mm shot into my oh. head. Wow. And my head opened. My crown opened. I didn't have the right vocabulary, but it was like a beautiful flower opening. And it was like pulsations. That's why they said it is the lotus opening because it would go open, 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 and each pulsation was pure rapture. Wow. <laughs> now my head was full of rapture. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is very interesting. Of course, it was wonderful. It was unbelievable. It was delightful. It felt very sacred, very divine. And after a few minutes, I don't think it was more than, surely not more than five, five, I'm not sure. I thought, all right, now I brought this up. How do I get it down? <clears throat> I didn't know. <laughs> but I did concentrate. And pretty soon it went down. But it wasn't quite like the, book, the books describe because it didn't just go down the spine. What it may have pretty much done that the first time or two. But very quickly after I repeated it in a few days, I kept doing it every day. It simply diffused throughout my entire body. It wasn't just my head that was in rapture. My whole body was in rapture. And that's the way it continued for me. That is whole body diffused ecstasy for the next 40 years. Were you able to function at that first couple weeks? Sort of. <laughs> I started having internal uh, images and uh, different things, doing different things, following different inner instructions. And uh, at first, my head was very upside down in that 
uh, every, I, I couldn't listen very coherent. And when I listened to somebody, it was hard for me to get what was the end of the sentence and what was the beginning with other people. I was incoherent. But unfortunately, I didn't have to go to work because it came at a perfect time, which was the end of May. I was a school teacher. I didn't have to go teach school. <laughs> I could spend time alone at home and just let it happen. And later, when I thought about this experience, I realized I had actually been guided through an initiation experience. And I promoted some of this myself. Thompson had mentioned that in the Tibetan yoga tradition, you would hold a bell and a vajra. And I decided I would do that. And where was I going to find a bell and a vajra? In, in Kansas. My, in Kansas, in my house. This all was in Kansas. One of my friends said, this is kind of like later, much later when I told her. She said, this is like a cosmic joke. <laughs> you had all this experience here in the middle of Kansas. And I said, yeah, it's true. I don't know how that happened. But well, there's also Dorothy of the Wizard of Oz. That's a little bit <laughs> ironic. I know. I know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, people love to later, much years, many years later, people say, say, well, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> I tell you something, when I was in Kansas, I wasn't really in Kansas. <laughs> Someplace else. So anyway, that happened. Uh, I went through other aspects of what I later, and again, this was years later, recognized as what is called the first level Buddhist awakening, the first level. And it has different aspects. And uh, I went through those in a certain way. And wow. so then I was, I was initiated. There's no question about it. But I continued to have this diffuse rapture every time I tried to do anything on it, anything, anything. Uh, one thing I tried pretty soon thereafter, I thought, well, I've heard of yoga. Now I heard of one person in, in my city that, uh, that did yoga. And we all, nobody else did. We thought that was pretty far out. You know, what was yoga? some esoteric, mysterious East practice. So um, I decided I would do yoga. And what did I know about it? <laughs> I had a little book about yoga. <laughs> My mother had bought it at the grocery store <laughs> for like 59 cents, as I recall. In Kansas? Oh yeah, I had it, she got it at the, well, she was in Oklahoma, I guess. <laughs> She got it at the grocery store in Oklahoma. She was always kind of fascinated by these mysterious things, but never really did anything with them. So um, I decided to do yoga. And this is how I did it. I just sat cross-legged, Taylor, what they call Taylor pose. And while I was sitting there, I raised one arm up and my arm was flooded with ecstasy. <laughs> and then I raised the other arm up and it was flooded with ecstasy. I thought, golly, this yoga is really something. <laughs> just think, it's so easy and anyone can do it. Wow. <laughs> this is great. This is amazing. You know, I just want to comment that what you're saying, it seems like anyone, it's, it's, it seems like it's our natural state. It's what we all can do if we do, so. choose to do it. And somehow you were just knew yourself, I think, 
uh, maybe more because of what you were going through, something, there was a doorway opened and, and grace descended. And um, grace descended. I, I think it's our time for the planet now. That's right. Are you, are you still getting those same waves coming through you or did it change over the years? Oh, it changed and changed and changed. I, I often say at first, this is just my uh, equivalent. At first, it was like having a big brass band march through your living room. Mm -hmm. It was really intense. And, you know, finally I reached a stage where I just lay on the floor and opened my arms and said, here I am, God, take me, do what you will. Mm. And it happened. Okay. But then this experience lasted in different forms for over 40 years. Now, as it went on, I, I noticed this. It got more subtle. It was no longer like a big brass band. It was like listening to a beautiful flute play in the distance, mm. but it was still wonderful. So as time went on, it got softer, more subtle, and finally less frequent, but it didn't go away entirely. And I would have unexpected episodes. I wasn't really practicing too much of anything, but Surprise, surprise, here I am again. <laughs> and it was so sweet and so nice. And it was often very unexpected. You know, I remember one episode, I think I was trying to make smoke meal and, uh, in the kitchen for breakfast. And here it came, <laughs> you know. And uh, that was interesting. And uh, I know I have another entry in one book and I called it rapture in a chair because I was sitting in my chair my uh, just my office chair looking at the screen I don't know if it's one and maybe something came on or a piece of music different pieces of music would start it and then there I'd be in this ecstatic state just from this now you must keep in mind I still didn't have anybody to talk to about Mm. Nobody, no friend at that time, no friend, no teacher, no guru. I got plenty of nothing <laughs> except, except rapture. <laughs> except rapture. Dorothy, how did you know that it was okay if you didn't have anybody to talk to? Is it because it felt so good or did you just have that inner knowing and a connection? Well, I had asked for it to come up. I tried in the first that's how it came up. I asked for it. I said, I want to see if I can do this. And it did. It went from the lower energies in the lower part of the body straight up into the head. And then it was rapture. What else? And that must and that felt that's what I read in that book. That it would happen. So, so you that, just knew. Well, what else could it have been? Mm -hmm. That's the way they described it. That's mm -hmm. the way I asked for it. Uh, it was total ecstasy, total rapture. What else could it have been? Mm. And I was never afraid. Some people said they're frightened. I wasn't at all. Because mm. I felt it was a divine connection. Mm. I really did. It wasn't, I wasn't making this happen. I couldn't make it happen. Right. Did you, did you have other benefits like healing? Did you find healing happening in your body or sending healing energies? Whether well, this is interesting. I never, except a few times, tried to heal with this energy. To me, it was a devotional experience. And each time felt very sacred and very devotional. First of all, I wanted to do energy healing. I always wanted to do it. But mm. the circumstances never seemed quite right. And I worked on just a few people. And they said things like, when I said, how did it feel? And one just said, rapture. So I was transmitting something. Shocking. 
something. Yeah, but I didn't have anybody really to work to practice on. And uh, I just, and I didn't want to have, find a teacher because I was having such intense inner teaching that I didn't want to stop and try to learn somebody's system. You know, I just didn't want to do that. And then after a while, I didn't have anybody to work on at all. So. I just had a your own body? Did you have healings in yourself, inside? Uh, I didn't have too much to heal. <laughs> um, as I, the experience went through, went on. Yeah, I had, it went through the body and healed the blocks. And it was like, it'd be one thing and it would push and push, the energy would push and push and push till that block went away. And then I'd say, good, I did that. And then pretty soon another block would show up and I'd have to get through that. And, uh, this went on for many years. These were not really horrible experiences. Some people just have terrible things. And this was not that terrible. It was uncomfortable. But I would say, yes, it was healing. And finally, after many, many, many years, I pretty well got through those rocks. And I think I was healthier throughout than I would have been otherwise. I'm still pretty healthy, but, uh, and I don't know whether I'm healthier than I would have been otherwise. I might've been, I might've been healthy anyway. I don't know. But it seemed like that uh, took place on its own. Right. And I'm still pretty healthy for my age. I'm 92 last birthday. <laughs> Congratulations. I have a question from Donna Lee. She said, Dorothy, you said you were guided a bit. Do you feel that there is another quote unquote being such as a guru and a higher plane that gave you this initiation? Absolutely. It didn't come from me. It came from somewhere. And it was directed by some higher being. And I thought a lot about who is that. And the other thing that happened was that um, which in a way has been a healing for other people. I, in the 19, before the year 2000, about three years before, I met Andrew Harvey in San, I'd moved to San Francisco and I still didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm -hmm. I uh, thought San Francisco would be full of wise gurus and so forth, but I didn't find it when I tried to tell a couple of people what was going on with me in the rapture, I got the answer such as, if you're lucky, you'll get over this. Wow. That was one answer. I asked a very well-known and qualified Qigong teacher about it. And she said, oh, no. She said, there's nothing like this in the literature. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was kind of discouraging because she was an authority. So I didn't tell anybody else till I met Andrew. And uh, that was, uh, I was auditing his class he was teaching there. And I did tell him because well, he's from India, he's supposed to know all this stuff. So I told him and Andrew recognized what I was telling. Was that the first person then? That ever really recognized it. Wow. Or could tell me anything about it. And I showed him some poems I'd written, some, 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 some they're pretty good. And he said, we, we've told, we've shared this story that he absolutely groaned when I handed him his poems. Oh. Because will hand you some very bad poems. Right. <laughs> and he thought, oh no, not again. <laughs> and he read the poems. And next time he saw me, he said, I like your poems. I want you to write a book of poetry. Mm. And I said, oh, Andrew, I can't do that. I write a poem 
from time to time. I can't write a book. Yes, you can, he said. You're going to write a book of poems. And I wrote a book, and it was called Marrow of Flame. And it was the first published book of poetry. And many people have loved that book. And they have said to me, this book was healing for me because it described my own experiences. Mm. Not uh, exactly, but very close. And I recognized myself. I, I wrote uh, uh, a book of prose. Um, and I, what did I call it? Um, I wrote a book of prose. The Unmasking the Rose? Unmask, thank you. Unmasking the Rose, because the rose is the archetypal symbol of wisdom or, or sacred knowledge. But unmasking the rose to me meant really getting into it, really going through it, not mm -hmm. just wondering what the rose stood for, but experiencing much of what the rose stood for. So uh, I had somebody just the other day. Who, taught, who said to me, that book saved my life because wow. I was having a similar experience and had no help to help me. Now, I think when we're ready to get on to the question of what's going to be the impact on humanity and the planet, do you want me to jump to that? Yes. Well, I, I just wanted to ask you one yeah. thing about what you said. Um, you said maybe there was a guru sitting on another level, but couldn't that be you, your higher self, your more divine? And I, I thought about that too. And I've also thought about past life. Right. Because this was surely from some past life. Mm -hmm. I think. I mm -hmm. think it was there. I think it was somebody... Uh, connected to me in this life and um, that's the only uh, that's the only rational explanation I can come up with I think that was you know I believe that idea that when we were born we bring whatever level of evolution that we reached at that point and I think that somehow I inherited or touched into or was tapped into by another being in another lifetime. Right. And uh, I started in a way, frankly, I think I started at the top. You're supposed to go through all these experiences and lifetimes. And so at the very end, you're supposed to open the crown and all these things. But that's where I started. You know, but perhaps you had already reached that level in another lifetime, right? That's what I'm thinking. I really am thinking. But it was then transmitted to me when I came through in this physical form. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Definite connection. And I even have a possible... I have one past life memory that may be connected to that. Mm. And it was not about being a a very highly evolved person. It was something else, but it was definitely seemed to be to be connected. Wow. Thank you. So yes. I don't know how common this I know a lot of people are having kundalini awakenings, but what does that mean? What kind of awakenings are they having? You know, some people have a little small awakening and maybe they feel a little rapture. Or maybe they feel a little less or that. But this was the big enchilada. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, and, you have the kind that everybody wants to have. <laughs> well, in a way, that's true. And then they want me to give it to them. And I, <laughs> I do not do Shakti Pot because I met one person early on at a workshop who had been given Shakti Pot. And it nearly killed her. Really? She wasn't ready. She, you have to be ready at some level to receive this. And even if you don't eat leaves and live in a cave, you still have to be ready. Your energy. 
And I found out, I think this is true, the reason the old yogis did all that was so their bodies, their energy bodies would be prepared to receive the intense energy that come, would come into their bodies uh, when this happened to them. That's why they did all that, to be ready. I think that's interesting because I, I would wonder um, about that guru because coming from a Shaktipat tradition and I give Shaktipat myself, but yeah. I just allow the Shakti, the Kundalini herself to give the Shaktipat. And I don't think that if you completely surrender to the energy, she'll ever give a person more than they can handle. But well, if she but got if it. the guru's using more of an egoic perspective, I could see that that could happen. Well, this happened to her and it scared me. Yeah. She, she woke up paralyzed in the middle of the night. Wow. And I think, I'm sure that you're very careful and uh, your uh, people have a wonderful experience, but there are a lot of people giving Shakti Park and the people they're giving it to are not prepared. And I don't, you probably know how to gauge that. Well, I, because I don't do it, I fully surrender to the Kundalini and let her do it. And well, I've noticed that some people really, they want an experience, they want an experience, but the Kundalini won't give them the experience they want because I don't think they're ready for it yet. Good, good. Well, I just, I said, I had that early experience and it, it frightened me at the idea that I might be sure. triggering somebody who wasn't ready. Sure. Yeah, so I, I try not to, but uh, people sometimes say they have some experience with anyway. Your yeah. energy is very powerful. I, I can absolutely feel your Shakti flowing <laughs> just from being well, in your presence. Thank you. Um, <laughs> where were you when I needed you? Where were you? So wonderful. But I love that I found you and the fact that you're doing, both of you, uh, uh, Kundalini, uh, our whole program. And I just looked back and I could cry. Oh. There I was with, with nothing and no one, not even a friend. Mm. for years and years and years. And now this is available. It's like a miracle. But mm. I was told, I was told at the first, nothing but you won't know anybody. You'll be very alone in the journey. Then things will pick up. You'll meet a few people. And then it will accelerate. It will accelerate exponentially. And that it will spread planet-wise. Mm. Part where we are now, and you're doing your part, which you can do, and that is, I am grateful to you. Mm. So grateful. Mm. It just makes me so happy. Wow. <laughs> well, talk about the thing you wanted to talk about—the planetary effect and and how that's well, changing. Uh, it is happening. There is no question. I don't travel, uh, uh, even in this country, but we're hearing reports and you say that all kinds of people contact you. Well, in some form or another, it is happening. And these reports, are, as you know, I'm sure, are coming in from all over the world. Okay. Of course, you know, uh, Gopi Krishna's work. And he said that, they, as far as I know, he was the first one who said to us that Kundalini was the engine for planetary transformation, mm -hmm. evolutionary transformation. So that was always in the back of my mind, that Gopi Krishna said this was going to happen. What, what year was that, that he said that, or what era? Do you remember? I think he wrote those books, 70s and 80s, didn't he? Oh, okay. I think that was about it. And he was still alive when I was. And yeah. I know people who met him, but I never did. I just read his books. 
and I thought the first book, Kundalini, the evolution force, little evolutionary force, or however it went. Anyway, he saw Kundalini as the force of human ev evolution. And I think that's exactly right. We are evolving and we are getting, we're not there, we're not totally evolved, but we're getting glimpses and tastes and mind expansion experiences. There's no dying, there's no denying that. And I still have kind of nice little, what I call fairly minor experiences, such as I always envied the people who said they could smell these wondrous odors. Mm. And I wish that I could smell mm. wondrous odors. Well, lately I've begun to, begun to smell these odors. Mm. And it happened. First, it was like, first time, and it was only a couple of months ago, it was like this, it was like the scent of incense and a nice strong incense. I don't know where it came from came from. And then later it was a floral, a floral smell. I thought that was lovely. And then later it was, I opened the door to, I'd been out and I opened the door in my apartment. I smelled this wondrous odor, just beautiful. Now, this is the clincher. Just the other day, I came home and a friend was with me. And I, as I opened the door to my apartment, and boy, it was lovely. And I told it to her because she is a yogi and knows about things like that. And she said, yes, I smell it too. Wow. And I thought, now that is really something. <laughs> Two people, and I've known other instances where things happen, but two people experienced it together. Mm. And I think that is not, not of the odors, but one friend heard the music of the spheres, spheres, and so did the woman who was with her. And another woman I know, when she was younger, was in a small meditation group, and she saw a vision of Jesus in the room in front of her. Well, on the way home, she was telling the guy she'd come with. He said, yes, I saw him too. Mm. I love those kind of dual experiences. Because mm. then you think, well, it isn't just me. Yes. just well, me. When, when, when was the first time you met someone else who had an experience like you? Of, of, the, of the odor? Yeah. Well, when how well what what was it like when you met someone who finally had an experience like you had? How was that? What was that one? Well, I've known very few people. So I thought I would, but frankly, I've met very few people who had an experience like mine, where it was instantaneous, where it was ecstatic, and where it lasted. And mm -hmm. I. You know, honestly, I've only met a handful of people like that. I've met people who've had, I think every Kundalini awakening is different. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a different experience. But very few that I've met had instantaneous experiences that was recurrent. But I'm sure there are other people, because I don't know that many people, but I, I uh, uh, met one woman, you think when that was, uh, or anybody who had a similar experience. Uh, it would have been, I don't know, 10 or more years ago, I guess. Finally, you met someone, must have been satisfying that you weren't. Oh, yeah. And I met somebody who'd had her own Kundalini experience, and we, we met at a workshop. But then we didn't meet again, except maybe once later. But we would talk on the phone, and that was so wonderful. 
to have somebody you could just talk to. You could tell your experience too. They would tell their experience. It was fabulous. It's like floating into the arms of the divine, I find, when I'm able to just share with somebody else who oh. understands. Oh, yeah. Coming out of the world of a lot of people who don't understand and don't know what you're talking about, and then you just go, oh. Yeah, nice. It's nice. Yeah, no. No, I've had at least two people where I could talk to over time. And that was helpful. But what about the future now? What about the evolution of humanity? What is the... Okay, well, first you've got, as I'm sure you know, you've got Gopi Krishna who said, this is going to happen. Okay, and then uh, you had the others, like Sri Aurobindo, and uh, you can trace it in history. You've got you know, the alchemists in the medieval times, and that's what they were after, to create what they called Ed, Adam Cadman, which was um, the perfect man. That was the Kabbalist who wanted, wanted to create Adam Cadman, the perfect man. So there were those who were kind of working in secret, but they had the idea that humanity could evolve into another species, another construction of our species. But they only had to stay hidden because their work was considered very dangerous. And the alchemists, of course, put it out in public that they were trying to turn base metals to gold. And that was acceptable because they were working on things. Mm -hmm. Let it be known that they were really working on the base metal of the human species into the gold of the perfect being, mm. they would have been in big trouble. Mm. So my vision is that we're right in the middle of it right now. That all of all of all of the people who are having these unusual call them mind expansion experiences. And they're different ways. In different ways. I always think of it as a mountain and we're all climbing the mountain but we're all at a different place on the path we're struggling up nobody and even when you think you've reached the top you haven't there's always more and what can happen is you think you've reached the top of the mountain and then one day you wake up you're back at the bottom again and I say yeah. Oh, and she loved that. And even even when you have this sudden awakening and quick awakening, instant awakening, then you got to go back and deal with everything you jumped over on the way up. Mm. You have to go back and I say climb. Now you can climb the mountain on your hands and knees. You're not whisked to the top. You have to climb it again on your hands and knees. And you've got to deal with all those is issues that are still clinging, whether they're your mental issues, psychological, emotional, physical, you gotta go back and clean, clean up your junk. And that's when you feel distress in your body and it goes through you and you hope everything's gonna be all right. I think that's really important for people to hear because that's, that's such a major part of the journey. And I think that people get distressed when that happens as you know oh i've reached this high state oh well what now why do i feel awful yeah exactly exactly now i what's my problem and i've got all these problems yeah. well but also the uh, separate from that the it seems to me that the vibration of the earth itself is assisting more oh, humans exactly and one of the gifts that was given to me, not so much now and here, but when I, and I haven't even been out of the country that much, but I have a, I was born on St. Patrick's Day. And there was hope, and I've always loved Ireland, therefore. And I've been there several times. Well, in Ireland, 
when I went to the sacred places, I could feel the energies of the earth coming right up through my body. And it was bliss. It was ecstasy in those. And I knew why they had built their temples there or simply their holy wells and all of you can feel the energies. I kind of think our ancestors could feel those energies too. That's why they call them, they call them holy wells. That's why they built whatever holy structures that they did. And the most sacred place in Ireland that I know of is Tara. And you always hear Tara, T-A-R-A. Oh. Tara. And Tara is the place where the kings of Ireland were crowned in ancient times. Wow. But we had a feminist guide. And when we reached there, a little group, she said, You will hear that this is the great place of the patriarchal kings. But before that, this was the body of the great mother. Mm. You are standing on her root chakra right now. And boy, she said that I almost passed out. It was interesting. She was very upset that this happened everywhere, the patriarchy. Uh, you know, removed the great mother energies, and of course, mm. it's the great mother. Mm. And uh, it was it was amazing. I I think that's the most sweet energy I've ever felt. I felt Tara's energy even before we were allowed to go into the grounds. Of course, nothing is there except ground uh, the grounds, and they are in a concentric circle, and uh, you can walk. That's all, all the buildings that were made out of wood and they disappeared. But the energies are very powerful there. Do you feel that's related to the Tara and the Buddhist, the Divine Mother Tara? I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting coincidence. Mm -hmm. I say that a lot when, a, when the divine energy comes through me. I say Tara a lot. Do you? Well, yeah. which one? talking about. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. You know that her name is Tara. Mm. Well, it may. I don't, I don't know. Mm. That's a very interesting theory. Well, maybe the name Tara for Earth also is part of that. Oh, yeah, right. Understanding, <laughs> you know, the Earth energies itself is Tara, Terra, Terra Firma. Mm. Um, but I want to ask yeah. you. Think you think Terra and Terra Farming? Well, they might have some connection. I don't know. But Dorothy, when you go into these ecstatic states, would your consciousness leave? Would you have visions of beings and entities? Uh, not. Well, at first, I had all this inner initiatory stuff. And uh, I didn't have a lot, I would say. Uh, I don't think I had so much of beings. My focus was almost exclusively on the feelings I was feeling, which is to say ecstasy. And uh, that's what kept me going. I felt that ecstasy was my guide. It was the expression of my God. Uh, no, I don't think I did. I loved, I just loved to read the ancient yogic text. If I didn't have other work to do, I say I would just sit around and I would just read those. I'd certainly read, uh, I'd read the things like the Spandakarika, which is one of my favorites. Greek art just means riding on, and sponda simply means pulsation. And, and, it, and it predates modern physics. That's what they're discovering, is what the ancients were writing about without any laboratories or, right. libraries or anything. They were getting it. So. And when you read it, did you feel that as well? 
when you read those texts? Well, I certainly loved it. Uh, and probably at times I was in a more ecstatic state. But the ecstasy was always my guide, whether it was an ancient text or uh, feeling inside or whatever. I feel that I was extremely blessed, extremely blessed, because it certainly changed my life totally. There was, once you experience this, you don't go back. You cannot go back. You're changed totally forever. And I just feel very blessed. Do you feel that you came in this lifetime to do this work then? Yes, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> yes, ma'am, I do. <laughs> I do. I, and also, I've often said, I'm sure I volunteered. Mm -hmm. If I had known what that meant, really. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I'd been so quick to cool. say, I'll go back and I'll help with this project. Mm. And I think I... Oh, and what I wanted to say about writing, you know, I write poetry very quickly. They just come like channeling. My next book is called The Goddess Speaks. Mm. I think that's what's speak, speaking in those poems. And many, many, many people have said to me, your poems are very healing. Mm -hmm. wow. can, you read, can you read one of your poems to us from that next book or something that well know. I didn't bring a poem from the next book or any book any well, other one called um, the Kundalini poems right they're all inspired all by Kundalini but they're not recognizably well, I have to get that one. That sounds amazing. <laughs> the next book sounds great, doesn't it? Well, they all sound great. Yeah. Well, see, I've written a lot of poetry and a lot of books of poetry. Mm -hmm. I've just kept writing. I don't have a terribly large following, but I feel I feel like a friend of mine who was a wonderful spiritual teacher, and uh, she went to a workshop on how to market your workshop. And she answered, well, I pray that the right people will come. That's the way she marketed her workshop. Well, <laughs> I pray on the poems that the right people will find them. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I haven't worked for numbers or certainly not for money. There's no money at all in metaphysical or uh, spiritual poetry that, I, that I've, I don't, I don't, anyway. Here's a poem I open to, let me see if I can read it. And I just opened to it, I don't know. Uh, it's called No Entrance Fee. In order to get to this place that I'm telling you about, you do not have to pay an entrance fee or re enroll in a course. There will be no official there directing traffic or multiple signs telling, which you, telling you which way to go. You will not have to purchase a fancy meditation cushion or an expensive mala to protect you from evil. You will, however, have to kneel down and open your heart mm. and let the light flood in. Mm. If you are no longer Yeah. If you are no longer able to kneel, then let your mind go there. There will be plenty of light to go around. 
and you will get your share. You will then know for certain that you are loved and there's no price tag on who you are. Mm, gorgeous. Let me find another one that was bookmarked for some reason. The books are available online, right? Yeah. Amazon. Amazon. Uh, you know, yeah. everything. And also, I'll mention by grace, I have been given now a fabulous poet, publisher. And it's a small press called um, Emergence Education. Right. And this publisher, for reasons I didn't understand, liked my poetry. I was overwhelmed. And a wonderful publisher's name is Jeff Correa. And he does workshops himself and teachings and so forth. But he and his wife, Amy Edelstein, uh, together publish books that they think are significant because they point to the future. Oh, I think I know them. They used to be with Andrew uh, Cohen, right? That's right. Yes. Great people. I've interviewed them. Yeah. Uh, he's wonderful. And he actually said to me, I couldn't believe it. He said, I'll be happy to publish anything you write. Can you imagine what that means to a basically unknown poet of all things? Most publishers today will not look at poetry of any kind. Right. I don't think it sells good. I yes, did. it means somebody truly saw your part. Thank God. <laughs> saw what? Someone truly saw your heart. Thank oh. goodness. No, finally, there's a long way. Um, so, I'm going to read you what is that, the first very poem of the Kundalini poems. And uh, it's the invocation to Kundalini. Oh, mother of all mothers, goddess of all the gods, hold us tightly, tightly in your embrace. Let what was unknown become known. What was hidden come to life. This is our time to come together to be infused with your divine energies, to know that we are yours eternally, even now as we move ahead into the vast unknown, drown us in the sea of love. That. <laughs> you have to stop talking. You're a divine being, Dorothy. I feel that divinity. No, so. no. the same as I said, right back at you, kiddo. Right at you, baby. And the cool thing is, for anyone listening, Dorothy is available. Yes, you can send an email to, to you and. Yeah, and I would add, uh, I am happy to answer an email to have a phone conversation. I do not try to take people through the entire experience. I'm not right. that teacher. But I will help people, and many people mostly need to be told, you are not crazy. Because mm -hmm. they think they are. Right. So that's what I do. Talk to you soon, thanks. I love you both, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>